Today on the Matt Walsh Show, a racial equity activist group is apparently calling on white liberal families to pledge that they won't send their kids to Ivy League schools. And in fact, given that white liberals agree that white privilege and systemic racism exists, uh, the group actually has a point. Also, we have our five headlines, including Tucker Carlson getting accosted by a deranged leftist weirdo while out with his family. The Olympics begins and uh, nobody really notices. And AOC offers a defense of critical race theory that contradicts the usual defense of critical race theory that we're given. And our daily cancellation, I must today, once and for all, I, I am afraid I have to tell you, cancel the Free Britney movement. That is canceled today, uh, along with much more on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, there are a few things more humiliating or uh, degrading than giving money to someone who hates you. And that's what a lot of us are in the position of doing so often as customers and consumers we're buying products from companies that hate our guts. Uh, well, when you find a company that supports you and is on your side, that's all the more reason to support them. And that's what Charity Mobile is all about. Charity Mobile is the pro-life phone company. 5% of your monthly plan price goes to the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice. And that's an important point because it's not just that they're saying the right things. The fact is that they're putting money where their, their money where their mouth is and they're actually supporting what is the most important cause in our culture, the pro-life cause. A lot of great perks that come with this service as well. Um, new activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping. There's no contracts, there's no termination fees, and there's no risk with a 30-day guarantee. Another thing that I like is that Charity Mobile is uh, creating jobs here in the United States. They've got live customer service based right here in the USA. Uh, and free usage alerts, free apps to monitor usage, a lot of great perks. But the main thing is you're helping to build a culture of life in America by supporting a pro-life phone company. So call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at CharityMobile.com. You know, one of the difficulties of living in a country where half of the people have gone entirely insane is that it's hard to tell what's real and what isn't. It's easy to get suckered by trolls and satirists because the troll and the satirist can't present a version of reality any more absurd than the one we actually live in. So it's kind of, it's anyone's guess what's real and what isn't. And that's why, um, that's why I present the following story with, with some trepidation, relatively sure that it's real, but I can never be completely sure. So on Twitter over the weekend, conservative commentator Kathleen McKinley posted a screenshot of, um, of a, a letter that was apparently distributed by uh, two white families in a wealthy suburb of Dallas by some kind of racial activist group. They went around giving this letter to, to white families in this uh, wealthy liberal neighborhood. The post-millennial has some of the details here. It says, Dallas Justice Now, a racial equity advocacy group, has been actively campaigning to convince wealthy white liberal families to not send their white children to Ivy League schools or other top 50 collegiate institutions so that admission spots are available for people of color to, quote, correct historical wrongs. An organization purporting to be a racial justice group has been sending letters informing white affluent Democrats about the college pledge around Dallas's richest, neighbor, richest neighborhoods, such as storied Highland Park. And then, uh, and then here's some of what the, what the letter actually says. And this, again, was in a screenshot. Uh, this was left, I don't know, put under people's doors or in their mailbox, I'm not sure. And the letter says, quote, we are writing to you because we understand you are white and live within the Highland Park Independent School District, and thus benefit from enormous privilege taken at the expense of communities of color. You live in the whitest and wealthiest neighborhood in Dallas, whether you know it or not. Uh, you earned or inherited your money through oppressing people of color. 
However, it's also our understanding that you're a Democrat and supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement, which makes you one of our white allies and puts you in a position to help correct these cruel injustices. We need you to step up and back up your words with action and truly sacrifice to make our segregated city more just. The letter then asks, uh, rather demands, I should say, that they pledge not to send their children to an Ivy League school or any school listed in the top 50 by U.S. News and World Report. Generously, the group does admit that this is a, quote, tough commitment to make. But they point out that if you're going to have a Black Lives Matter sign in your yard, you ought to be ready to make these kinds of sacrifices. The post-millennial has a little bit more. They say on the group's website, white parents can take the pledge online. The pledge form asks users um, uh, reading it says, will you uh, will you take the college pledge? There are two options available for users to choose. Here are the two options. You can take the college pledge. That's the question. Two options. I am a racist hypocrite or I agree. It says talk is not enough. Commit yourself towards taking action and making sacrifices to correct centuries of injustice. The pledge's description instructs. Open up spaces for black and Latinx communities by refusing to send your kids to Ivy League and U.S. News World Report top 50 schools and encourage friends, neighbors, and family members to do the same. Imagine if those hundreds of thousands of spots at these institutions were occupied only by marginalized communities. Imagine the opportunities. We can achieve true equity within our lifetimes, but only if white folks are willing to sacrifice their privileges. Uh, and then a little bit of the pledge is, as a white person with privilege, both from my whiteness and my neighborhood, I recognize the need to make sacrifices for the purpose of correcting hundreds of years of murder, slavery, discrimination, and lack of educational and economic opportunities perpetrated upon people of color. Okay, if this is a, I should say, if this is a, a troll job, it's a pretty committed one because I, I looked at the website myself and it certainly appears legitimate. The group also has a very active Twitter presence, which includes... This video, which I'll play for you, from a member, a member of the group uh, named Jamil, recorded this video. Here she is explaining why they're asking white families to clear the deck and keep their kids out of our nation's top schools. Here it is. We are fighting for change. We are fighting for equality. We are wanting to bridge gaps, and we just want to catch up. I'm a parent myself, and I would love to be able to send my children to college. I feel that not only sending my children to college would not just be a good thing for them, a good thing for us, but also in the future to come. Their kids will say, hey, mom, dad went to college. I'm going to do that, too. Therefore, I will be creating generational wealth in my family, and I believe it's a trickle-down effect. The kids in the community, the kids that come over and play, the kids that will come and come over and play with my kids' kids, they'll all be affected by that because they'll see it. They'll see it. They'll feel it. I believe that it is my burden, it is our burden to use our voices, our platforms to spread awareness, to offer options and choices on how others can support the cause, on how others can make the dream become a reality. So again, we're just a nonprofit advocacy group seeking change, Seeking quality, seeking justice. That's it. They're, that's all they're seeking. Change, equality, justice. And for you to totally debase and submit yourselves to them and their authority and their power. That's it. That's all. Is that too much to ask, really? 
take opportunities away from your own kids and give those opportunities to their kids. Prioritize their kids over your own. That's it. It's pretty reasonable. There is an undeniable poetic justice in this. White liberals thought that the Black Lives Matter sign in the yard would be like the lamb's blood on the door, signaling that the BLM mob should pass them over and go visit the MAGA house down the street instead. But that's not what happened. Instead, the mob knocked on their door and said, so you're an ally, huh? Well, now prove it. There are a number of important lessons to be learned here. One is the familiar lesson that no amount of self-subjugation and self-flagellation will ever be enough. They will always come back wanting more. Uh, and another lesson related to the first is that the left, and this is really important to understand, the left-wing mob has, of course, a lot of cultural and institutional power that you can't do anything about directly, right? That's, that's the world, that's the culture we're living in. But beyond that, much of the power it has over your life that power, the direct power it has over your life, the power to control and intimidate you, much of that power has to be granted to it by you. Okay? If you allow the labels, bigot, racist, homophobe, transphobe, sexist, etc., to bother you, to make you curl into a ball in the fetal position you know, cowering on the floor when someone says that to you, then you have given them near unlimited power over your life. If it really, really upsets you when someone calls you a bigot, and the worst thing in the world to you is to be called a bigot or a racist, then because of that attitude on your part, you have given the left-wing mob complete power over you. You've given them everything. You've given them your soul. You, you're, you're just a dog on a leash now, and, they, and they're holding the other end of the leash. On the flip side of that, if you get to the point where the labels mean nothing at all, where it makes no difference what they say to you or about you, then a significant amount of their power will be taken from them and given back to you. See, they, they wouldn't bother leaving this letter on my doorstep. One, because I wouldn't send my kids to an Ivy League school anyway. Uh, I love my kids too much to do that to them. But two, because, because I don't care what they say or think. So if they, if they come to me and say, do this thing that we want or we'll call you racist. I say, well, call me racist then. What do I care? <laughs> I don't care. Do you agree or are you a racist? See, for a lot of liberals, that's, you've beat them. That trick right there, the false dichotomy, you beat them. You can do this thing we want, or you could be a racist. Those are the two options. You know, fork in the road. Go left, and uh, it's what we want, and that's good. Go right, and you're a racist. See, I meet that fork in the road, and I say, well, I'll just go right. Oh, you're saying you're a racist? Uh, no, I'm saying I don't care what you say. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the decision that I want to make. It doesn't matter to me what you say. Now, as for these families, these uh, nice, white, liberal, progressive, enlightened families, they've set the precedent. And it's a precedent of self-debasement. In fact, really, Dallas Justice Now has a point. These white liberals, in theory, agree that white privilege exists. 
They agree that systemic racism is real. They agree that white people are historically evil and oppressive. Um, they agree that we live on stolen land. If you were to go up to them and ask them, do they agree with all of those propositions? They would say, yeah, absolutely. And they, and they would keep going. So you agree white people are evil. They don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're terrible. White people are the worst. You agree that uh, all the things that you have in your life, it's, it's, just, it's just systemic racism has given this to you? Yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. Well, if you agree with all those propositions, then indeed, you probably should keep your kids out of the Ivy League schools. I mean, you should go further than that. You should vacate not only the school, but your property, your home. Flee into the wilderness in shame. Exile yourself. You know, you could... Live in the cavity of a hollowed out tree, eating bugs and mushrooms for the rest of your days. Th that's what you would do if you took that worldview seriously. That everything you have is in some way uh, the result of racism and privilege and theft. That you also in some way are responsible for and hold guilt because of. If you really believe that, then that's what you would do. But these white liberals, they don't do that. Because they'd prefer to virtue signal and hope that nobody ever asks them uh, to do anything more than that. Now let's get to our five headlines. One of the problems with uh, having car trouble, if you need a car part, uh, it, it means if you want to go to the, the auto parts store and get the part you need, well, you might need your car to do that, and that could create it. That could sometimes create a conflict. Uh, and even if you're able to get to the auto parts store, why bother with that? It's summertime. It's beautiful out. Well, it's not beautiful here. It's scorching hot. But that's even more reason why leave your house where you can just stay at home, get your phone out, get on your computer, and go to RockAuto.com. RockAuto.com has the lowest prices possible, and they also have a great selection. Uh, all you got to do is go to rockauto.com. Um, you can see all the parts that are, are available for your vehicle. You could choose the brands, the specifications, the prices you prefer. That's a really nice feature as well because the price I prefer is like the lowest one all the time. And so I can just plug that in and I can immediately find what I'm looking for. Look, they're a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. So you can go to rockauto.com right now to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. So do that. Go right now, rockauto.com. See all the parts available for your car or truck. And as always, write Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. This was wonderful. I have to start with this. Uh, I got to mention Michael Bennett, Senator Bennett. He tweeted this out over the weekend. And it's a picture of him. He's a Democrat, obviously. Picture of him standing you know, on uh, a farm, allegedly a farm, but sitting next to some sort of tractor. And, uh, and the caption says, President Biden tracked me down in the North Fork Valley to talk about the child tax credit. And so he's posing there on his phone, standing next to a tractor. And I, I can imagine how that conversation is going. Hey, Joe, I was just out here plowing the fields in my dry cleaned uh, button down shirt, my brand new jeans. Fortunately, my staffer was following me around taking pictures because I, I always bring him with me. He's got the camera ready when I'm, when I'm out in the fields. He just follows me everywhere, even out in the farm. Oh, no, no, no. My tractor doesn't leave tire marks, and there's no dirt on the tires either. It's more of a hovercraft, actually. Uh, so, anyway, what was that about the child tax credit? 
I, I also love tracked me. President Biden tracked me down. No, he called your phone that you had in your pocket. You understand how cell phones work, don't you? Somebody calls your phone and you pick up. How'd you track me down? How'd you know where to find me? Probably the phone you're carrying around. These people are such posers. Just it, 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 if you're a politician, just embrace it. You're a career politician. You've been doing this forever. You're, you're, not, a, you're not one of the normal folk. You don't work on the farm. Em, embrace that. Be real with people. Because this kind of thing, who exactly is this supposed to appeal to? Is my question. Uh, I also have that question about the Olympics, which started on Friday. Uh, it's a big opening ceremony. And ratings are way down. Nobody's really watching it. Of course, we're doing the Olympics a year later because of COVID. And now there's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no real audience either for many of these events, uh, which gives it a, a kind of a, a weird muted tone already. Um, and I know something about that because I actually have watched some of the Olympics, Olympic events. Not really my choice, but my wife is a big, she's a big Olympic fan of the Olympics. And so I said on Friday, okay, I'll sit down with the family and I'll watch some of the Olympics. Because I'm a family man and, you know, I want to be selfless. And so I'll sit down and watch it. And I did. But I spent the whole time complaining about the Olympics and making fun of it. And my wife pointed out after the fact that that doesn't really count as quality time. So the next day I sat down and said, I'll actually watch them. And I tried to watch them. I tried to endure it. Fortunately, I missed this, though. We, we didn't watch the opening ceremony. Um, so I didn't have to, at least live, I didn't have to endure this. Um, the Olympics began with a performance of the song Imagine. And it was performed by John Legend, Keith Urban, um, teamed up for this atrocity. And now I'll subject you to some of it. Here it is. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Oh no, I hope someday you join us, and the world will live this one, and the world. It's become popular to hate this song, Imagine. And I'm not going to be the contrarian on that. I hate it too. It's one of the worst songs ever written. And I was saying that before it was cool to say that. All right. It's like the last couple of years, everyone hates this song. But, I, but for most of my life, I've had to endure this song over and over again. This is supposed to be this inspirational anthem. And now suddenly people are saying, you know what? It is a pretty bad song. And, and, and I'm glad we're all on the same page with that. And it's it's sort of hilariously inappropriate, especially for the Olympics, because one of the one of the lyrics is "Imagine there are no countries." Well, the Olympics is all about the fact that there are co countries competing with each other. 
An Olympics without countries. I wonder how that would work exactly. That's the whole point of the Olympics are the fact that there are countries. And then you look at all the other, and it's not just the lyrics, which makes the arrangement, the melody, everything, it makes it to this a grating, ironically unimaginative song. But the lyrics especially, imagine there are no countries. Uh, imagine there's no religion, no heaven. This is a, a, you know, a Marxist vision dystopia that uh, for years, many people in this country who do not share that worldview have been convinced to embrace this song and be inspired by it. Imagine there's no heaven above us. Okay, so we're imagining that we die and fade into the, the ether. We fade into the abyss, into the blackness of nothingness. Everyone you've ever known, all of your family, they're gone. They're, they're nothing but worm food, nothing more than that. If that's your claim, then okay, fine. I know there are plenty of people that believe that, but don't ask me to be inspired by that. You can't put that into lyrics and expect me to be inspired. I don't find that inspiring. I find that horrifying. So a terrible song. And as I said, the, the Olympics themselves, the, the uh, ratings are significantly down. And I think that has something to do with the fact that it's the same thing that the they went through with football and basketball last year, all the pro sports, where you don't have any audience. It, it, part of the experience when you're watching it on TV is the excitement. I've never felt a lot of excitement about the Olympics, but I imagine the people who do. Part of that is the audience there, hearing the crowd cheer. That's a big part of the experience. You take that out and you have these people doing gymnastics in a quiet, empty stadium. It's, it's depressing to watch. And that's part of the reason why the ratings are down. And I also think, in the United States anyway, when you've got women's soccer and other Olympic athletes um, who don't appear to have any gratitude or love for their country. And that's not at all the case for every Olympic athlete. Many of these people are very patriotic, and I feel bad for them. that they're. That's one of the reasons why, aside from the fact that you're disrespecting your country, whether it's Gwen Berry or the, or the w- women's soccer or any of these other athletes that are doing this, disrespecting your country, but it's also selfish that you're, you're overshadowing. You're making it all about yourself. You're overshadowing these other athletes. Gwen Berry, remember, she, was, uh, she, was, she finished third. And all the conversation was about her. Not the people who came before her. So you're overshadowing and, and you're kind of getting them all lumped in with you, which isn't entirely fair, but that's what's happened. Same thing with the NBA and the NFL. Not all of these athletes are on. In the NBA, it seems like probably 99% of them are, but uh, in the NFL, certainly not all of them are on board with this. BLM propaganda and all of that. But the ones who've made it political, they've kind of ruined it for everybody else. And so what was supposed to be the Olympics, I guess, if you've enjoyed watching them, it's, it's supposed to be about national unity. We're all watching and cheering for the same team, our team. You know, we're all together as a team. That has been ruined. 
in recent years, especially this year. And it's sad to see. All right, next, uh, Tucker Carlson. So Tucker Carlson was, was trending on Twitter over the weekend, as he, as he often does. Only this case, he was trending not because of anything he said. It was a, a confrontation between him and uh, another guy at a fly fishing shop in, Ma- in Montana. And I say confrontation. Really, he, Tucker Carlson was being accosted. That's not really, he was not, this was, this was not him confronting anyone. He was apparently at this fly fishing shop with his daughter, presumably getting some fishing gear, going to go out on a fishing trip with his, with his kids. And this guy, who uh, his name is Dan Bailey, comes up to him. Uh, we, you can't hear much. We'll play the clip, though. But this was originally shared by the leftist account Occupy Democrats on Twitter in a very celebratory way. Say, let's make this go viral. And leftists were cheering this on. They love seeing this. Let's watch the clip first, and then we'll talk about it. My, my, don't even get my, my, I don't care, man. Okay, just you. You are the worst human being known to man. I want you to donate to this thing, to the United States, to everything else in this world. I don't care that your daughter's here. What you have done to people's families, what you have done to everybody else in this world. Son. Don't call me son. One. So you can hear him say, you can hear him say there uh, that you're, you're the worst human being known to man. Tucker Carlson, in this guy's mind, and a lot of people on the left would agree, the worst person on earth is a cable news host who says opinions you don't like. That's their whole beef with Tucker Carlson. They're not, they're not alleging that in, in secret he's a, he's a serial killer or something. Maybe they'll get to that point eventually, but right now they're not. Uh, their whole beef is that he has opinions they don't like. And that makes him the worst person on earth. You can also hear the guy, again, his name's Dan Bailey, apparently. You can hear him say, uh, I don't care if you're with your daughter. Now, I, I got to say, maybe I take this especially personally because not just as a fan of Tucker Carlson, but also as, a, as an angler myself. I, I can tell you, this, this, this is such a breach in fishing protocol to begin with. This is when, yeah, he's not out at the lake yet, but still, you're at a fishing shop, you're thinking about fishing, you're with your kid, you're about to go on a fishing trip. The whole, this is a sacred space. Fishing, the whole thing, it's a sacred space, including the shops too. Go to Bass Pro Shops, sacred, sacred place. You don't bring your personal feuds and rivalries and politics into that. Uh, but that's what he did. I, I, I could also tell you another thing. If this guy is, if he's, according to Occupy Democrats, he's a fly fishing guy, Dan Bailey. That's part of what he does for a job, I guess. I can guarantee you the leftists, vast majority of the leftists who are cheering this on, they're not in the market for a fly fishing guide in Montana. And most of the people who are in a market for the market for a fly fishing guide in Montana they don't want some deranged leftist weirdo who's going to berate them about politics the whole time. So he's probably just destroyed his business by doing this, and for good reason. That's the last thing I would want. If I was ever going to get a fishing guide, which, which I probably wouldn't because a big part of the thing for me is to be out by myself, but um, the last thing I would want is a guy who's going to be doing that. 
defeats the entire purpose. But when you see uh, the left is cheering this on, when he's out again, out with his kid, minding his own business, you know, I, I think you see how there is just no res- respect. Th- this is why I'm always beating this drum about we, we don't have unity in this country. And we're not going to have unity. Okay, not anytime soon. Some some massive fundamental things would need to change in this country in order for there to be anything like unity. And those changes, if they ever happen, aren't going to happen anytime soon. Um, And this is one of the reasons why. You see it here. Why there isn't unity, because there's just no respect. That guy accosting Tucker Carlson has no respect for him on any level at all as a man. That's why you go after a guy when he's with his, with his daughter at a fishing shop. And all the left is cheering it on. They have no respect for him. None. Not, I'm not saying they don't respect his views. We know that. They don't respect him as a person. And it's not just him. If you don't agree with them, if you have opinions that differ from their own, and especially if you make the mistake of saying them out loud, they do not respect you as a person. And they don't think you're worthy of respect. And that's been made really clear. Maxine Waters, remember she said, confront them everywhere you find them. Make them make sure they know they're not welcome. And she was talking ostensibly about people affiliated with the Trump administration, but really she was talking about conservatives. There's no, there, in order for there to be some kind of unity, there has to also be serving as the foundation of that unity, there has to be some kind of elemental, fundamental respect between the two parties. You can't have unity without respect. I don't agree with you, but I, but I respect you as a person. And I have to tell you something. It's not just on their end. I will fully admit I don't respect them either. If you take someone, for example, who... Um, would defend a man's right to go into a woman's locker room and expose himself to women and children, someone who, who, who takes that position, I don't respect you. Someone who defend the, the mutilation and drugging of kids, someone who defends the, the mass execution of 60 million unborn babies, I don't, I don't respect you. It goes way beyond, I disagree, I do disagree with you, but I, also, I just don't respect you as a person anymore because of that. This, is, this goes beyond a mere disagreement. This is a moral flaw, a character flaw on your part that is so profound that I don't know, how could I respect you? So it's a, it's a mutual feeling, I think, on both sides. And not exactly the foundation for unity there. All right, uh, moving on here. We got Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I thought this was was interesting just because of how contradictory it really was. So she was on with Don Lemon last night, I believe, talking about critical race theory in schools and uh, explaining why, hey, if if you don't want critical race theory in schools, it it, it must mean that you you just, you don't care if people are racist. Why, Why wouldn't you want people to learn how to not be racist? Let's listen. And to that, we should say, why don't you want our schools to teach anti-racism? Why don't Republicans want their kids 
to know the tradition of anti-racism in the United States. Why are Republicans trying to ban books in this country? Why are Republicans trying to ban speech? Why are they trying to fire certain professors? Why are they attacking the core roots of history in this country that strays anything beyond what we already know? In fact, you have folks like Kevin McCarthy making statements that sound like he's never even read Martin Luther King in his life, trying to ban books that actually talk about the history of the civil rights movement and institutional racism in the United States. So why don't Republicans want us to learn how to not be racist? Why don't Republicans want, us, want kids to know how to not be racist? How to not be racist. Yeah, well, um, I don't need... Speak for yourself, AOC. I, that's, not a, that's not a skill that I need to learn. If, if, if you feel like you need practice, you need to go to how to not be racist lessons, then go ahead and do that. The whole thing doesn't, even, doesn't make it learn how to not be racist. Here's what racism is. Got to keep defining the term because uh, there's a lot of confusion on this point. Confusion that's being intentionally sowed by people like AOC. If you believe that enti- an entire race of people are inferior to your own race. Okay, if you would rank races according to who is inferior or superior, then you're racist. That's a, that's a, that's a racist view. That is, that is racism. If you don't believe that, then you're not racist. You could be a lot of other things. You could still be a jerk. You could still be rude. You can still have many other flaws. You can be kind of the person that leaves your, your shopping cart out in the, the parking lot, doesn't put it away. So that doesn't mean you're a perfect person. But that's what racism is. And if you're not that, then you don't need to learn anything about racism. And even if you are that, let's say you do believe that a race of people are inferior to your own. Um, someone like that, we're not going to reach that person by making racism into, the, into this broad, almost unknowable thing where you have to go to school for years and years in order to uh, potentially break yourself of it or to free yourself from it. That's what, that's what ends up happening here is that you know, actual racism is a thing there are, that, that exists in the world and not just the United States and not just among white people. There's, there's no denying the fact that there are people in the world who believe that certain races are inferior to their own. No question. What you end up doing is you let them off the hook. The actual racists, you let completely off the hook by taking this label and applying it to everyone and saying that you know white people are inherently racist. Everyone is. That's, you know, actual racists can uh, shake your hand and, and thank you for that, for letting them off the hook. But there's another contradiction here because what are we told about critical race theory? We're told two, diff- two different things by the defenders of it. One is that, oh, it's this esoteric legal thing and uh, it's, you're only, it's only in law school and we're not, no one's being taught that in, in, in school. We're not teaching kids that. 
no, that, that isn't happening. This is this is a conspiracy theory. This is hysteria on the part of the right. This has been invented by Fox News and uh, conservatives and so on. So we're told that. But then also AOC says, oh, no, no, we, we, we need critical race theory. So if you're, if you're criticizing critical race theory, the problem isn't that you're criticizing something that doesn't exist. No, it's that we need it because there are millions of, of, of inherently racist little kids out there. And we have to beat that racism out of them intellectually or perhaps even physically. Who knows? It's got to be one or the other, doesn't it? I don't see how it could be both. Either it's this abstract, esoteric thing that we don't have to worry about and you're not, it's not in school, it's only law school. Or it's deeply, deeply necessary because there's so many racist people and they have to be taught how to not be racist. Which one? Can't be both. Um, I guess we'll play this also. Fauci. I, I, I was I was hesitant to play it because this would be like the third day of playing Fauci clips. But we do have to start paying attention to Fauci again, unfortunately, um, as we see the push to reinstate mask mandates uh, as, as, as that gets more and more serious. Here's Fauci on CNN talking about uh, that possibility. I want to ask you, sources are telling CNN the top health officials are weighing whether to revise mask guidelines for vaccinated Americans. Are you part of those conversations? And if so, what are you advising? Do you think masks yeah. should be brought back for vaccinated Americans? You know, Jake, this is under active consideration. If you're asking, am I part of, am I part of the discussion? Yes, I am part of the discussion. But I think what you are seeing, even though as of our conversation at this moment, the CDC still says and recommends that if you are vaccinated fully, that you do not need to wear a mask indoors. However, if you look at what's going on locally in the trenches in places like L.A. County, the local officials have the discretion and the CDC agrees with that ability and discretion capability to say, you know, you're in a situation where we're having a lot of dynamics of infection. So even if you are vaccinated, you should wear a mask. That's a local decision that's not incompatible with the CDC's overall recommendations that give a lot of discretion to the locals. And we're seeing that in L.A., we're seeing it in Chicago, we're seeing that in New Orleans, because the officials there, many of them are saying, even if you're vaccinated, it's prudent to wear a mask indoors. So that's a local decision. Uh, that's a lot of words getting us to the point where, yeah, we're going to see mask mandates. They're going to try. We're going to see this again nationwide. Mark my words. That's what's going to happen. Um, but we, we talked before about how, you know, the, the left-wing mob, it has a certain amount of the power that it has. It only has that power if you, if you, give, if you grant them that power over you. Similar thing could be said here. You know, these mask mandates proliferated across the country and they stayed in place for months and months and months, largely because people cooperated with them. People showed a willingness to do that, to do as they're told, put the cloth on their face, even if they think it's ridiculous and there's no reason to do it. So if we once again decide to cooperate, then, yeah, if we show a willingness to cooperate, then yes. People will be wearing masks across the country yet again. 
and it will never end. So it's up to us to decide. Are we going to cooperate with that? My answer, by the way, is no. All right, before we get to reading the YouTube comments, it's been a little heavy. Let me, let me read at least one story, something a little bit lighter, but also really important. This is from NBC. It says, Gen Z's nostalgia for Y2K fashion is leading to a thrifting explosion. It says, recently, the hottest piece of jewelry among Gen Z's favorite celebrities has nothing to do with precious stones or storied retailers. Instead, stars like singers Dua Lipa, Dua Lipa, who is that? Olivia Rodrigo and the actor Pete Davidson are donning beaded necklaces reminiscent of homemade friendship jewelry from the early 2000s. It's part of a rising trend of Y2K fashion and what has been called nostalgia among Gen Gen Z who are reviving or reliving early 2000s fashion trends they were too young to experience or remember the first time around. Uh, So we're seeing a, a lot of this stuff that I grew up with is now in fashion again, basically, apparently. But I just wish that Gen Z would, would talk to us millennials before deciding which of our early 90s or, you know, our 90s slash early 2000s fads should come back. Like, talk to your elder statesmen. We've been, we've been there. We know. We've done this. Definitely don't bring back the baggy Jinko jeans. Those are done. You want to bring back pogs and yo-yos? Sounds good to me. If you want to bring back track suits, I'm going to have to say no to that one. Uh, I'm saying no to friendship bracelets. We don't need to do that. Don't even think about it with gel pens. You want to bring back GAC? Um, If you want to bring back those little finger skateboard things that we all used to have as kids, I'm down with that too. Also, let's bring back cargo shorts. Maybe cargo shorts were never in style, but they've always been in style in my heart anyway. This is what upsets me. And it feels like appropriation when I see the kids today dressing like we dressed 20 years ago without asking us first, number one, for permission to take our, to appropriate our culture. And number two, whether, you know, a little bit of guidance. Humble yourselves, kids. Now I got to tell you about one of my favorite sponsors, Beard Supply. Listen, it's July. We're getting into August. It's really hot. This is when we separate literally the men from the boys. This is when we find out if you're serious about growing a beard and keeping one, if you really want to be in the bearded community, because I feel very strongly about this. There are, there are a lot of people that say, oh, it's, it's November. Let's me, let me grow a beard now and I'll shave it off in June because, you know, it's too hot. That, you're not part of the community. I want to make that very clear. Um, real bearded people, they keep that beard year round and you just suffer with it because it's worth it in the end. It's character building. Uh, But if you're gonna have that beard, especially when it's all hot and sweaty out, that's all the more reason to keep it tame and looking fresh, no matter how humid or dry your summer is turning out to be. Um, And that's why you need to go to beardsupply.com. Trust me, you don't wanna show up to your neighborhood barbecue in the blistering heat without a bit of beard oil to keep your beard in check, especially with the humidity. That's what the beard oil is all about. Uh, and if you visit beardsupply.com right now, you can get a, for a limited time, you can buy one beard oil product and get another one for free. So go visit our friends at beardsupply.com today and order yourself two beard oils for the price of one. Again, that's beardsupply.com where you can get two beard oils for the price of one. All right, let's move now to reading the YouTube comments. Uh, this is from DH says, if the Catholic Church truly had any moral authority, they would prohibit Pelosi, Biden, and their ilk from participating in any Catholic services or sacraments. Well, I, as a Catholic, I do believe the Catholic Church has moral authority, but you're right. 
that they should exercise it by prohibiting people like Pelosi, Biden, and their ilk from receiving the sacraments. And, uh, and this, is, this is one of the big problems with the Catholic Church not exercising that authority, or rather the bishops um, in these dioceses not exercising that authority. Because it, it looks like you, as the authority figure in the church, you don't take this seriously. If you don't take your own faith seriously, the faith where you're in a leadership position as a shepherd of souls, if you don't take it seriously, why should anyone else take it seriously? We talk about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. That, that, that's quite a significant and profound claim. Um, but if you don't take it seriously yourself, then why should anyone believe it is the, is the thing. And I think there are a lot of non-believers, a lot of people outside of the church that are looking at that and saying, well, you know, they, they don't appear to really take this all that seriously. This goes beyond the Catholic Church. I mean, look at all these churches for a year that just shut down shop because they were told to without much resistance. A lot of secular people, non-believers, atheists, who maybe could have been reached before that, they look at that and say, well, I guess church isn't all that important to you guys. Why should I care? It's a serious problem. It's a serious scandal. And you lose people. You lose potential converts. Um, Shock Monkey Radio says, urinals are the reason there's never a line for the men's room. Uh, Yeah, I I get that. A lot of urinal defense in the comments, which is kind of weird to me. Some people taking this, the urinal thing way too personally, defending urinals. I get it. I get that it's, it's more efficient that way. I just don't like being treated like an animal. That's all. Um, another, another question says, Matt, what do you think of the trailer for the new Neil Blomkamp film, Demonic, and the Catholic Church commandos who hunt them? Uh, I haven't seen it, but Catholic commandos hunting demons sounds incredible. But again, this is Hollywood, so... Anything that deals with the Catholic Church, I'm highly skeptical. Uh, Marina says, everything okay, Matt? You seem to be having an off day. Wow. Well, I, I guess you didn't like the show on Friday. I, I actually liked the show. I thought I was, I felt great about it until I read that comment. So thanks a lot. This is like when you're out somewhere and you're feeling good about yourself, feel like you're looking good, and someone says, you okay? You look tired. Nothing more deflating than that. Especially as someone who per- perpetually looks tired like myself. Um, Amy says, my parents always told us life isn't fair. It's a good lesson for life. It's a cliche, but it is an important lesson. It's one of those cliches that, are, that, that we all heard from our parents that uh, is a cliche for a reason because it's repeated often because it's true. I think another parenting cliche that's kind of gone out of fashion recently, I don't know if my generation of parents, they don't say this as often, but my parents said it all the time. That's the classic because I said so. Now you can, you can abuse because I said so. You could say it way too often. But that is an important lesson for kids to learn. That even if you don't understand why you're supposed to do something, that doesn't mean you, have, you, you don't have to do it. You still have to respect my authority as a parent. Um, and we know kids, they ask why for everything. Anytime, anytime you say anything to them, they're always going to ask why. And so my policy is if they're asking why sincerely, like they really want to know, um, then I'll tell them. Or if the why is an important part of the lesson. So I'll say, don't run in the street. Why? Oh, because you get hit by a car. You know. But many times the why is just a form of defiance. It's just your, way of, your kid's way of letting you know that they don't like that you told them to do something. 
And that's where the, the because I said so comes in. That's your message that, okay, you might not like it. You might not fully understand it because there are a lot of things about the world you don't understand because you're a kid. But I'm the adult. I'm the authority figure. And you're going to respect that authority because I said so. Um, and finally, Linus says, this is the first time I've watched Matt from the beginning. The first time I've watched Matt from the beginning, period. And what did you think? So you guys are killing me with the veiled insults today. I, I admit this happens a lot where, I, you know, I, I, I see someone and they go, uh, oh, you're Matt Walsh from the, from the Daily Wire. And I say, yeah. And they go, oh, yeah, I've seen your show. That's it. Walk away. Which is another way of saying you're horrible. Yeah, because if you liked the show, you'd probably follow that up with, I saw your show. It was pretty good. In other words, I'm deeply offended. If you haven't already ordered a uh, signed copy of Ben Shapiro's newest book, The Authoritarian Moment, then you're running out of time to get that because it's hitting bookshelves tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, July 27th. You can get your limited edition signed now for just $30 at dailywire.com slash Ben. It's a pretty good deal if you ask me, especially because Ben will be doing a live stream book signing and Q&A tomorrow. And you can submit a question right now when you go to purchase your signed copy. When you do, you'll be asked to type in a question at checkout. Then you can catch Tuesday's live signing to see if he answers your question and watch him sign your book. If he doesn't get to your question, don't worry. You'll still receive your signed copy. So what are you waiting for? You've already waited all these many weeks. We've been telling you about it. Well, now's your chance. Go to dailywire.com slash Ben right now and order your copy today. Also, we just launched our newest podcast, Morning Wire, and it's already number two on the Apple and number 11 on Spotify. Why is it doing so well? Because it's a daily news podcast that values your time and the truth. And while we're proud of what sticking to our values can accomplish, we need you to help us get the word out to more people and get this all the way to number one. So subscribe now to Morning Wire on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. Brought to you by Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief John Bickley and co-host Georgia Howe. Morning Wire will wake you up with the latest developments in politics, sports, culture, and education, all with a heavy emphasis on the facts in 15 bite-sized minutes. Perfect for your daily commute. It's just a, it's a really well-produced show. I listen to it uh, so I can figure out what, what the heck I'm going to talk about on my show. You should listen to it as well. So again, subscribe to Morning Wire and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a beat. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Here are a couple of general rules which may not apply all the time, but do seem to apply in this case. The first is that bipartisan legislation is the worst kind of legislation. If there's any idea, any proposal that can bring both Republicans and Democrats together and put them on the same page with each other, you know it must be uniquely terrible. The second rule is that when it comes to longstanding personal disputes between people, especially people who are close to each other, especially family members, if you know only one side of the story, then you don't know the story. Your opinion on the subject will be, therefore, basically worthless. Now, with that groundwork laid, let's uh, begin with Republican Representative Nancy Mace, uh, who, along with Democrat Charlie Crist and their bipartisan gang of legislators, are pushing a bill which they have dubbed the Free Britney Act. This obviously stems from the outcry over the conservatorship of Britney Spears, who was denied the right to make legal decisions for herself after the court determined that she's not mentally fit to do so. This decision was made over a decade ago, I think like 13 or 14 years ago, uh, following a very public mental breakdown, actually a series of mental breakdowns by Britney Spears. And for the past many years, that decision has been repeatedly affirmed by the courts. The courts have said that Britney Spears is mentally unfit 
and potentially a danger to herself or others. But Britney's fans, and now the public at large, after seeing a New York Times documentary on the subject, have decided that the courts got it wrong. They have declared that Britney Spears should be freed from her conservatorship, which had granted decision-making powers to her father instead of herself. Um, Britney herself now is also calling for the arrangement to be terminated. And now our lawmakers, never letting ill-informed hysteria go to waste, have jumped into the fray. Many Republicans have still not said a word in defense of the January 6th rioters who've been locked in prison for months on trespassing charges, even as BLM militants who burned buildings and assaulted police officers go free. And yet, those Republicans still have time to worry about Britney Spears. To that end, here is Nancy Mace making her case on uh, Fox News. Here it is. Thank you, Arthel, for having me on this afternoon. The FREE Act, well, first of all, I want to thank Britney Spears. It took a lot of courage for her to come forward in a very public way as a celebrity and public figure, detailing the abuses of her conservatorship just last month in June. And her situation is a total nightmare. And if it can happen to her, of all people, then it can happen to anyone. And what this piece of legislation would do would allow someone like Brittany, who's in a conservatorship, um, to petition a judge, petition the court for an independent or public guardian, um, someone that could oversee the conservatorship who doesn't have a conflict of interest, financial or otherwise. And that's really at the crux of this. And there are 1.3 million people in conservatorships across the country today. Okay. So there are two basic questions to be dealt with here. One is whether this legislation is needed or warranted. And the other, more broadly, is whether Britney's fans and Instagram followers and people who saw the New York Times documentary are correct in their legal assessment of the case and their psychological assessment of Britney Spears. So we'll look into both of these questions, beginning with the first. Do we need this legislation? Well, Mace and lots of people in the Free Britney movement have echoed this claim as well. May says that this is a larger problem. She says that conservatorship abuse is a widespread issue in this country. We've got to do something about it. But she also says that 1.3 million people are under conservatorships. Well, in a country of some 330 million people, that means, if my math is right, and it usually isn't, that, what, 0.3% of all Americans are under conservatorships? Not knowing anything about any of those cases, 0.3% seems like a rather reasonable figure at first glance. Is it possible that 0.3% of Americans are mentally unfit to make decisions for themselves? Uh, yeah, clearly so. If anything, it seems that the number should be significantly higher than it is. I'm a little bit upset that it's not larger than that. A better question is, is it true that, that only 0.3% of, of uh, Americans are unfit to make decisions for themselves? Only 0.3%? Now, May says that if it can happen to Brittany, it can happen to anyone. But it doesn't happen to anyone. It doesn't happen to hardly anyone. It's happened to only 0.3% of the country. What do you mean? It could happen to anyone. Yeah, but is it? No, I'm not arguing that there's no need for conservatorship reform. What I'm arguing is that the facts about Britney Spears' case, what little we know, and the fact that 1.3 million people are subject to these arrangements, don't themselves add up to a need for sweeping reform. If a better case can be made, then Mace should make it. If there is some real, far-reaching, serious problem with the way conservatorships are handled in this country, then present the facts and make your argument. But then if that far-reaching, serious problem exists, why did you wait for Britney Spears uh, to bring this up? Why are you basing this on the Britney Spears case? Why didn't you bring this up before? 
See, there are a lot of people who are today pretending to be experts on conservatorships. Oh, you know, this is a major problem in this country. Yeah, it's a big problem. But Yeah, but you never mentioned a word about that until Britney Spears was in the news. Why is that? If it's a big problem, where was your conservatorship reform movement before this? As for the Spears case specifically, is it true that she's being oppressed and abused by her conservatorship? Is it true that the courts ought to free her? Before we can answer that, if we can answer it, we should establish one thing. It is certainly possible, in principle, for an adult to exhibit behavior which would lead to them losing the right to make decisions for themselves. Severely mentally ill people exist. Dangerous and suicidal people exist. That's why we have mental institutions. That's why we have conservatorships. The way some people are talking about this case, it's as though they object in principle to the very idea that any adult should be deprived of the right to make decisions. Like the way that they say, oh, she's an adult, she should make decisions. Well, yes, but what if she's crazy? Are you saying that no one should have their decision-making power taken from them at all? Well, if that's your argument, um, then you're arguing for the abolition of all mental asylums and psychiatric hospitals. You're arguing that any person, no matter how disturbed, no matter how erratic or self-destructive, should be permitted to continue making choices for themselves even if those choices are almost guaranteed to lead to them harming themselves or other people or their own children. Now, you're free to make that argument, but it's an absurd and stupid argument and not one that any intelligent person should take seriously. Rational people can see that dangerously irrational people exist. And sometimes on rare occasion, remember, we're only talking about 0.3% here, steps must be taken to bring them under control for their own safety and the safety of others. If we've established that, if we can agree that conservatorships exist for a reason and should continue to exist, then the only question is whether Britney Spears should be under one or not. In order to say no to that question, we would need to have evidence, compelling evidence, that she is mentally competent. Do we in the public have that evidence? No. What do we have? We have her Instagram page, where just this weekend, she posted topless pictures. Now, that's not illegal. I'm not saying anyone who posts a topless picture should have their decision-making rights taken away from them. But is it a normal and rational thing to do when you're in the middle of a legal battle over your conservatorship? You're posting naked pictures online? Is that something that a, that a, that a normal, healthy-minded person does? But we have that. Um, we have a documentary produced by the New York Times in which Spears, Spears fans and Spears advocates and lawyers unaffiliated with the case were interviewed. And we have Britney's own public statements. Okay, that's, that's, that's all the evidence we have to support the assertion that she is mentally competent. In other words, we have nothing. We have no evidence. Do we have evidence that Britney Spears should be under the conservatorship? Well, yeah, we do. We know that Spears had multiple psychotic meltdowns in public. I mean, we saw it happen, so that's how we know it happened. We know that Spears was not granted majority custody or even half custody of her children, which is a profound statement in and of itself. If you know anything about how the, the way family court works, especially in California, for a woman to get like a 70-30 arrangement, or she might have lost custody completely, whichever it was, she did not have even majority custody. For that to happen, there's got to be something really wrong with that woman. We also know that every judge that's looked at the case and examined her psychological evaluations 
have found that she's mentally unfit. Does all of this mean that we in the peanut gallery can conclusively determine that Britney Spears should be under a conservatorship? No. We can't conclusively determine anything because we don't know her and we don't know the case and we don't have access to almost any of the relevant information. I keep hearing from people, oh, we grew up with Britney Spears. We know her. Oh, you didn't grow up with Britney Spears. You grew up watching some music videos of her. You did not grow up with her. You don't know her. But the facts, what little facts we have access to, would seem to be leaning pretty heavily against the Free Britney movement. A movement, again, spurred on by people who have made utterly baseless legal and psychological determinations. A bunch of fans with Free Britney signs have just decided that Britney is mentally fit. They have absolutely no evidence to support this claim, none at all. But let's say that Britney should be under conservatorship. Let's just say that. Let's say that she's mentally incompetent and a danger to herself or others. Would that automatically mean that nothing abusive is happening to her under the guise of this legal arrangement? No. She claims, for instance, that she is forced to use an IUD and not allowed to have any more children. That would be a horrible injustice. But then again, the key word here is claims. She claims that this is happening. The only evidence we have of this claim is the claim itself, which she made to a judge recently. Here's the full transcript of that moment. I'm going to read this to you. So when you hear this thing about the IUD, this is where people are getting it from. This is the only place they're getting it from. Here's the transcript where she mentions that to the judge. She says, Team wants me to work and stay home instead of having longer vacations. They're used to me sort of doing a weekly routine for them, and I'm over it. I don't feel like I owe them anything at this point. They need to be reminded they actually work for me. I was supposed to be able to. I have a friend that I used to do AA meetings with. I did AA for two years. I did three meetings a week. I've met a bunch of women there. And I'm not able to see my friends that live eight minutes away from me, which I find extremely strange. I feel like they're making me feel like I live in a rehab program. This is my home. I'd like for my boyfriend to be able to drive me in his car. And I want to meet with a therapist once a week, not twice. And I want him to come to my home because I actually do know that I do need a little therapy, laughing. I would like to progressively move forward and I would want to have a real deal. I want to be able to get married and have a baby. I was told right now in the conservatorship I'm not able to get married or have a baby. Have it, I have an IUD inside of myself right now, so I don't get pregnant. I want to take the IUD out so I, don't, so I could start trying to have another baby. But this so-called team won't let me go to the doctor to take it out because they don't want me to have children, any more children. So basically, this conservatorship is doing way more harm than good. So she complains that she wants longer vacations. She wants to go to therapy once a week instead of two. And she wants her boyfriend to be able to drive her. Then at the end, as an aside, she just throws in the claim about the IUD. Doesn't explain how this even works. Did they physically force the IUD into her? And what if she goes, what if she goes to the doctor to remove it? Will, will the doctor actually refuse to do it? Doesn't bother to explain. She doesn't seem to think that the IUD issue is as important as the fact that she isn't allowed to take longer vacations. Perhaps the claim is still true, but who knows? Well, someone knows. She knows, her dad knows. The judge might know. I don't know. Neither do you. In fact, you know almost nothing about any of this. And the same goes for me. That seems to be the overarching theme here. A bunch of people who know almost nothing and have no evidence of any kind and have access to none of the relevant information have nonetheless made sweeping determinations and are now calling for legal decisions to be made based on their assumptions. The whole thing is absurd and strange and embarrassing. And we have more important things to be worried about in this country. And for that reason, I must say, 
that the Free Britney movement is today canceled. And we'll leave it there on a note that I'm sure we'll find wide approval and agreement. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, editor-in-chief of Daily Wire. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, the Biden administration signals a push for renewed mask mandates and vaccine boosters. Australia erupts in protests after another round of lockdowns and the NFL experiences blowback to its new vaccine rules. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire.